pedestrians in vehicles Argue my elusive steps Welcome to the sixth episode of the Casey Bates Podcast, a podcast where I sit down and talk with the people I've worked with over the years. This episode is part one of a two-part series detailing the making of Forgive Durden's Wonderland, one of the most well-thought-out, planned-out, and executed concept records I've ever been a part of. Today I'm going to talk to the brain behind Forgive Durden, Thomas Dutton. You'll get to hear where his inspiration came from in creating the world of Wonderland, his interesting song titles, and what he's been up to lately. You can look forward to part two of the Forgive Durden podcast, where we go in-depth talking about their second record, Razia's Shadow. That episode of the Casey Bates podcast will be released in a few weeks. You can find Thomas on, Thomas Instagram. on Instagram with at Beatrix Kiddo with a zero instead of an O, and Twitter with at Thomas Duddy. You can always find me and info about my podcast on Twitter or Instagram with at Casey Bates. Enjoy the show. You and I have a long storied history. Oh, okay. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with that? How we met? No, is that too much? How did we meet? The band Surrounded by Lions, who... They're like they're like the reason... That's crazy. Daphne's the same thing. They sit Surrounded by Lions, and this Providence sits Surrounded by Lions. Really? Yeah. But they got to you through Gatsby's, right? Yeah. Because they, yeah, yeah. they had played some shows with them, or... I don't even really know how they met. That's a good question. I mean, I know they played some shows with them, but I wasn't... I, don't, I didn't know if they you know, met before that or what? Well, Bobby and I, Bobby and I worked on their songs together, I believe. They're very Gatsby sounding. At the time, yeah. Yeah. And then you liked their recording? Yeah, I mean, we just did, it, it, it was like what the, the cooler people were doing. <laughs> you wanted to be that cooler yeah, person? exactly. Like, oh God, this is what you gotta do. Gotta go record with this guy in this creepy attic. I, I didn't, we didn't record you in my attic. We recorded you in my rec room. Didn't we? We did the drums down in your like TV room, but we did the guitars and everything up. We, we actually did drums at the my rental house on one thirty fifth or whatever. Did we really? Yeah, just in the main room there. I think I don't remember that. And then you had like a guitar cab in your bedroom, in that like with the, oh, the ceiling yeah. is like four feet high. Yeah, <laughs> and you did guitars out in the main control room or whatever. We got put in touch with you through Strand by Lions, and I think we came in with a few songs and it was amazing for us. And terrible for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you had to do a lot of fixing No, that's things. my famous story is you almost made me quit. Right. You were so bad. <laughs> made you realize what it was going to take. <laughs> made me realize what, what my work days were going to be like from that point forward. Um, Did those songs ever, does anyone ever heard those songs? Have those ever seen The Light of Day? Yeah. I mean, we released them. So you actually had an official EP. Let me consult Wikipedia here because I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, so those were before that EP. We had a few songs, and then we came. Oh wait, back that's in. that's the Bandages and Royalty EP. Yeah, what yeah. we're talking about right now. Yes. And then we did the When You're Alone, You're Not Alone EP. Right. And the Bandages and Royalty EP wasn't like it's like we I think we came in and we did like two songs, then we came back and did like another two songs or something like it was kind of 
piece together. Yeah, and you Whereas, were really figuring it out too because it was terrible, and then it was not so bad, and then it was right. still bad. But and we better. were changing members a little bit at the time too. And was Andy drumming for you the whole yeah, time? Yeah, Andy was drumming. But like, and Jesse playing bass? No, that was, like so that was before Jesse because you played bass. Yeah, because Clay, who was our bass player. None of this is important, but... Um, <laughs> I'm just going to edit all this out. <laughs> We're just getting warmed up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then we came back in and did the When You're Not Alone, You're Alone EP, which is a reference to, do you know? Tell me. Hook. Really? Yeah, she sings, the little, little girl sings When You're I don't alone, think I've ever seen alone. that movie. What? Oh, man. Is it good? Does oh, it hold it's up? great. Uh, I think that like the, maybe some of the action stuff would be pretty hokey, but like... That's Spielberg, right? Yeah. But that's supposed to be like his worst movie. Is it? I don't know. Isn't his worst movie like Jack or something? That's not Spielberg. Are you is sure? Isn't that a Francis Ford Coppola? Oh, maybe it's, it's somebody very it's like, somebody <laughs> like really, it's like they did a kids movie. <laughs> yeah, so we did that EP, which I think we did in maybe three batches. And that EP's not bad. And I thought it was pretty cool. It was definitely the best thing we had done by far. Everything you did at the every time every you recorded thing, was the yeah. best thing you did. No, I was I was just on the Stage Banter podcast, and the guy or the host is a huge fan of you guys, and I don't know if huge, but he's a fan, and uh, he he's very familiar with that EP because we talked about it, and I was like, wait, really? I thought he was talking about like the stuff that led into Wonderland, but he's like, no, 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 that EP, and I was like, oh, I had no idea really? anyone heard that. Yeah, there was a few really good songs. The acoustic song was still, like, a lot of my friends that were kind of supportive of what I was doing at the time, they still, like, love that. The last track, I'm a Sucker for Fakes, because especially they they know the girl that it was about, um, and so they'll be, like, at a show and shouting out, Play, play, I'm a Sucker (laughs) for Fakes. I'll classify every word out of your lips. As a lie until you're lying beneath the dirt and the soil, held as the king of deceivers and cheats. You got a lot to learn. It says here we did that EP August 23rd, 2004. That's when it was released, maybe? I, oh, it has to be because I was like, that's an oddly specific date. <laughs> <laughs> that acoustic song, I remember you, it was your idea to do doubled vocals on it. And you're like, yeah, you know, like Elliot Smith. And I was like, who's that? <laughs> like, you don't know who Elliot Smith is? I was like, nope. I don't think I really listened to Elliot Smith either. I was just <laughs> trying to sound real cool. You're like, yes, somebody else doesn't know who he is. <laughs> okay, so you, that gets released in August 2004. And then, so there's a big gap between releasing that EP and it says Wonderland gets released May 9th of 2006. Yeah, so we went and like toured. So that's when we had... You toured on the EP? Yeah. So we got Jesse joined as the bass player that I met in college. And then he had a friend, Thomas Hunter, who was going to USC for jazz guitar. And our guitar player at the time was still in high school, and we were all in college. And so we kind of all told our parents, like, we, we want to try to make this work. Like, we want to leave school and start touring. Like, give us a year to kind of make this work. And if we get signed, we did it. If, if we don't get signed, then we'll go back to school. We decide to start touring. We go down to California, meet Thomas Hunter. He leaves also, and we, we start playing together. Actually, me and him down in uh, California, because up to that point, I had been writing everything just myself, music and lyrics and everything. But he was a much, and still is, a much better guitar player uh, than me. And so it was this amazing 
addition to the songwriting process to have somebody that could was so so much more fluent in guitar than I was. And so we actually started writing the first song together down in L.A. in his apartment, and which ended up becoming Ear to Ear, um, the third song on the record on Wonderland, which is kind of why that song, we can talk about more when we get to that song, but... Um, that song's kind of crazy and just there's a lot going on and it's because I you know we sort of had this uh guitar player this amazing guitar player at our disposal so it was just kind of like yeah more more yeah like, keep that keep doing crazy stuff and so that's part of the reason that song's a little nuts but um so then yeah we, we toured for a bit on that ep and just kind of up and down like the west coast and with other kind of unsigned bands yeah it and couldn't then, have been like a major tour no 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 it was just like you know a week here two weeks there but we did it we did it quite a bit with other bands that were kind of in similar situations to us trying to get signed at that like good, not great kind of level. And um, yeah, Thomas and I started writing together more and we wrote a few, I think we we wrote, so we had Ear to Ear, we wrote um, Jub Jub and we wrote The Great Affair is to Move. Right. At that point, I think we came back in with you or, or you sort of. Isn't, and during this time is when like, this Providence gets signed and rec- records, and Daphne Loves Derby get, yeah. gets signed and records, and you're kind of like the last band. Well, yeah. you're one of the last bands that I'd been working with at the time that I hadn't gotten some sort of deal or right, whatever. Right. And we really, we really sort of expected, I think, to get signed off of the EP. That yeah, we did because that's kind of what everybody else had happened with everybody else. It's like you go do like a solid EP with Casey Bass, yeah. <laughs> and you'll get signed to what are they called, Rocket Star, Rocket Star, yeah. or whatever. Um, and Didn't really they, work out that they way. They sort of passed on us. I think you. T- I think you took it to them, and they sort of were like, "Yeah, yeah." I, I think, I've never met them. I don't I think, think we took it to a few. I mean, did you hear? Did you get any label interest from the EP? Um, no, I mean, not that I remember. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting it confused in my mind with maybe other. T- no, I. Th- I mean, actually, no. I do remember a time that we we sent it out to like everybody, and I remember we did get one like physical letter back in the mail. I think <laughs> so from sorry. like Lobster Records. Is that a record? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it was like a, you know, a form letter that was like, you know, we're not interested in this time. But he'd also written a note, like, these sound good, but we're just not signing right now. Like, keep us in the loop kind of thing. So that was... I vaguely remember something like that, yeah. That felt sort of nice to get something personal, at least. I think it was my idea to have you come in to do two songs. Yeah, I think you said, like, you know... And it was free, right? Like, I was just like, let's record these songs. I think so. I don't think I charged you. And I don't remember paying you. Well, (laughs) because you... I liked the EP, and... I think it was a thing where uh, I was like, I hit you up and I was like, Hey, do you have new songs and let me hear them. And then I, you kind of sent me some demos of the songs and yeah. I liked them. And I was yeah. like, okay, let's come in. We'll do two songs for free and I'll try to get you a deal. Yeah. Cause you had just done, I think I did the just last on, monsters. And so you had the relationship with Johnny Minardi, with Johnny, who is now at Feel by ramen. Cause Johnny is in every podcast I'm doing. <laughs> like he's like this, like <laughs> link to everything. Shout out. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I think, yeah, I remember we recorded a few songs. We just, like, put a, a room mic in, in our practice space and just recorded a few songs and um, sent them to you. And, and, yeah, I think, you you know, you kind of saw something there, I guess. And, yeah, so we came in, and I think we did all three, but you sort of said ear to ear is a little little much, maybe. Let's just focus on did these two. Did we do two. three? I think, or at least we, I, mean, I think we at least started three, but maybe we didn't finish ear to ear. ear that sounds ear. familiar. And, um because we did Jub Jub and we did The Great Affairs to Move. Yeah. And which are different, but I think they both kind of showcase what really you know the the Wonderland version of For- Forgive Dirt at least really the essence and of that it was like versatile, you know, both yeah. those songs both those songs had these weird 
like secondary songs as like the, the little button on the end. Yeah, they're like that verse, chorus, verse, chorus, then like whole other outro song. Yeah. thing, whole different part. And so they both had that interesting thing going on, um, but they still also had like some bite. So um, yeah, it ended up being a really good representation of, of what was to come. And this was around, this is right around the time My Chemical Romance was huge. They had their Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge record. Okay. And uh, I'm, I'm saying that because that was like the big influence on me production wise for the it? record. Yeah, you re- you remember this? I don't remember that. I feel, it, it wasn't the Black Parade. It was the first one, or not the first one, but Three Cheers. Yeah, the one with Helena on it. Yeah, okay. There, it was a huge. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. It was a huge record. And is that where we kind of got the gang vocally thing? Well, for me, it was everyone. I remember talking to didn't like how that record sounded. The the My Chemical Romance record because it's very dry mm-hmm. and. The drums don't sound all that good, but I, I there's something about it that I really latched onto. Maybe it's because the songs were like the biggest songs in the world at the time. But I really liked how just kind of raw and kind of shitty it sounded, but still clear and you could hear everything. And so my whole thing with you guys was when you came in, I wanted it. That was going to be kind of my version of that. Like, there's no reverb on hardly anything on Wonderland. Yeah, it's very dry. It, you know, your vocals are dry most of the time, and the drums are dry. They're just like that room that they were in, and. I know I feel just listening back to the record, I feel like scared a little bit. Like oh. it's so intimate. It's very like I f- if everything feels very vulnerable because it's like you're not hiding behind the reverb is such a good cloak. Yeah. for everything you put reverb on anything, it just sounds better. It covers up mistakes, everything. So when you have none of it, at least as like someone who who makes music, it feels very like the the. But I like it. Oh, I know it. It makes it puts the music in a very vulnerable place because it's like whoa, I can hear everything. I can see everything. It's. I still, like, Wonderland is one of my favorite productions I've ever done. Do you think that's like a, you know, like a lightning in a bottle kind of thing? Or do you think that you could recreate that with anything you wanted to do? Oh, it's all, I could easily do it. Oh. It's not, <laughs> nothing to do with Nothing you guys. special. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was just. Just I, the way it fit with the songs and everything. Is, I, it I, I, it's, it's one of those things where, because I was doing it for free, I felt like I had full control over how I wanted it to sound. Whereas mm. most of the time... I'm very like accommodating with bands and I'm like, let's do your vision and my vision. We'll try to get the production the way I want it to be. And there's been a handful of records I've done where I've more or less been just paying for it myself. And so I'm like, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. You know, and that's how I like, do me. Yeah. Like the money pit record I just did is like very yeah. much just like, that's the direction I wanted to go with it. It's Wonderland exactly. wasn't free though. Well, the first we'll, two songs we'll, are free. we'll get to it. It's I mean, it was basically very cheap, free. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but the first two songs set the template for yeah. how the rest right, of the record right. was going to sound because those are the songs we sent to the label. Right. And, but I, I immediately was like, I don't want any reverb on this thing. I want it to be all real drums. It's all real instruments. Very much just like you guys playing in a room. But I still think it sounds awesome. It's like punchy and big sounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did these two songs and I I had one plan only and that was to give them to Johnny Minardi who worked at Fuel by Ramen then and say... I, how cheap do I have to do this record for for you guys to sign for Give Durden and pick it up so we right. do the record? It was like an offer they can't refuse because it's like I mean they they could. <laughs> but I know they but like for they how liked the cheap songs. it was. It was a very low risk. I want to say three grand. I maybe? think that's what it was. Three grand for a full length, which is ridiculous for anybody <laughs> that is aware of record budgets. Especially, and I was doing well at the time. I mean, like I was doing a lot of work, but yeah. I really wanted. I really believed in you guys. I really wanted that record to get made yeah and so yeah i remember 
John Janik, the co-founder of Feel by Ramen, called me up one day, or we had maybe talked to Johnny a few times. And then they hadn't seen you live. Hadn't seen us live because they're in, they're in Florida. We were in Seattle. They hadn't um, seen. They, they, all they knew was the songs, right? Yeah, all they knew was those two songs. I think maybe we sent them the prior EP too. Um, but uh, yeah, they're really excited about it, and and you know we had the idea of like kind of the concept record and and, wonder, and the whole Wonderland thing, and so. Janik was excited about that from like a marketing standpoint that there was kind of like this story to tell and the unfolding and and uh you had your ducks in a row like when he called right yeah, like yeah. you are like all right I gotta sell him on this didn't you have to film yourselves playing live and send it to him yeah so we <laughs> after they you know showed interest and everything we were still um in the midst of doing yeah like those little kind of one week two week long little little tours with other other unsigned bands and we had one coming up and so, you know, they said normally we really like to see, you know, the bands we sign and play live, but like, since you, you, you don't have plans to come to Florida and we're not going to fly out to Seattle, I guess. I don't know why they wouldn't have done that, but yeah, um, they said, why don't you just film one of your shows and send it to us? Like, we just want to make sure everything is good. You know, like, there's an actual band. Yeah. There. We just want to make sure it's there. Like we want to sign you. We just have to, you know, make sure that it's, it's good to go. So we were playing Salt Lake City when we found out about this. Um, and so our friend Caitlin, who happened to live there. She was going to college in Salt Lake. She came, I swear it was like the kind of camcorder, like where you stick the whole VHS in it yeah. and it just records right to that. <laughs> um, and I mean, I swear there was like eight people there. The stage was like six inches off the ground. It was like a horrible <laughs> basement show, which maybe I guess was fine for what we were or whatever, but it was not something that you, you know the audio is just whatever the camera's picking up if you would have like been just, in seattle you would have had every friend show up yeah it would have been, like been a, packed yeah. this whole thing it would look like we were like little local gods yeah. or something as opposed to we were just playing to nobody and we send in this vhs and sure enough they i don't even know if they watched it or what but um yeah i mean we, we got signed and actually johnny kept the vhs and sent it back to me really uh, i haven't watched it because i haven't been able to find a vcr but <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious to see it actually. Um, then we uh, sent it in, got signed, and everything, and and came back. And I think then we were we, was it a two record deal? Uh, I think it was a three record deal. We came back, and then I think it was I think we recorded with you around like October because the record came out in May. So I, I think I remember it being like October time of year, late time um, of the year. Yeah, we so it been October '05. Yep, came in and do the record, and we had it. We had it pretty much all. Written, written. I mean, we we had been writing a, a bit on the road, and you're and, kind of a freak when it comes to planning and making yeah, sure. Yeah, I, like to, I, like to, I mean, we'll talk about Razia's, but I had like a big chart with all of it being yeah. checked off, and so I think we had most of it written. The only I remember, I mean, the last song we did for the record was for a dreamer. Night's the only time of day, and that was one that we sort of wrote. I think that's the only one we sort of wrote after we had started recording because we felt like we, there was something missing. But I think everything else we sort of came in with. And obviously we made adjustments and changed stuff up. But I think we, we pretty much were were there. Uh, we didn't have any, like, it's not like we had 40 songs and we ended up with 10. Like, we, ha we had this 12. Is the, these are the songs, we, yeah. yeah. That's exact, That's all we had. I remember going to a practice just ahead of the record. And I, I played you guys Bleed American in the first song on that record, Jimmy Eat World. And I said, make a song like this for the first song on the record. Yeah, with the downbeat on the snare thing. Yeah, do you remember? Because I, I, I was like, we need the song to kick off rockin'. The record. Yes, yeah. the record. And and I was like, make a song like this. And I think uh, maybe you answered something that you've been working on or whatever, but you 
like I I remember you making Ants for the beat to be the first song on the record. Okay, yeah, I can't. When I think about Ants, I can't remember like most of the songs. I can think like, oh, there was this song that we sort of liked or this vibe that we were trying to go for, and I can't really remember that for some reason with Ants. So that sounds like it was probably what you're saying. Yeah, we'll just go with what I say. <laughs> okay, so uh, should we get into the record? Yeah. So Wonderland is a concept record where there's one story being told over the course of the whole record. Did but you did you plan that out like when you, we were recording those three songs initially or was this something that you kind of came back around to after that and was like let's make this a concept record so we can sell it to the label as this big grand idea. Yeah, I think it was I think it was a mix. So I'll explain it this way. So so it's one story that takes place, but it's there's um one, two, three. There's four or no, actually there's five characters. Um, there's five characters. And so they, you know, you hear my voice singing first person on every song, but I'm singing from different characters, point of views, depending on the song. And so, um, one of the characters is sort of me. Um, and that's the character that's, <clears throat> that's you, that you hear singing on the great affairs to move. So, um, you know, I might not have, I might not have had this full grand scheme of like a five character concept album when we wrote Great Affairs to Move because it's just yeah. I was singing from my 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 perspective. But um, and then Jub Jub is the point of view of, of the girl in the story, and it just it and I think I don't, I don't remember how how deeply I thought about a whole concept thing. But then once we had those two songs, it kind of felt like oh, you know what, we could continue going with this and have have these different perspectives on like even the same events and stuff. This is a lot more ser- similar to Razia's Shadow than I thought. Really? Than I, I mean, remember it being. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a big part of Razia's <laughs> for me uh getting the different singers was that it was a response to nobody having a fucking clue that yeah. there was multiple characters on Wonderland because it's hard to know because it This is probably going to come as a, a shock to Yeah, I, I mean, mean, well, I mean shock, the, but, the lyrics yeah. are kind of cryptic. They're not like hitting the nail on the head and you know, it's one one voice you're hearing doing all these characters. So it's not there's nothing to tell you really that that's happening. You'd have to really kind of dive into sort. Of, I mean, the artwork we tried to do it a little bit with the artwork. Yeah, there was kind of a response to that with Wonder, with with Razia's was to say, okay, well this time we're gonna actually get different singers, so you know that like they're yeah. different characters. So ants. So to go back to the to, to ants. Ants is uh, the Wonderland is basically bookended with this kind of god character. The person who created Wonderland created the world that this story is taking place, and he's super frustrated with the way that his creation is being treated. And so he's kind of standing up on a whatever, a, a cloud, whatever, however you picture that happening, and yeah. he's looking down at the world and seeing all these people, and they look like little ants, and he's just, you know, really bummed out at how they're like wasting this beautiful creation that he gave them. Yeah, at the end of the song, he even, you know, he's, he says, with my tightened feet, I could end it with just one step. So he's talking about just destroying yeah. it and kind of starting over. He's talking That's about cool. S- stepping on the ants. Um, you can't dodge agony if all 10 tons of it comes stomping down on you at once, like a bullet to the brain. And the last line of the song is, from my monster height, a healthy walk I contemplate. So he's like, I'm just going to go take a walk yeah. and smash all these smash all these fools that's awesome <laughs> so he's basically debating whether or not to destroy the world that he's created and um so that's how the record starts <laughs> nice uplifting message i 
I guess we, we should probably should have talked about it before we got dive into the record. But like, are you proud of this record? Is this something that you're still like? What, what are your thoughts on the record ten years later? Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's cool. I mean, um, I think that the sound of it is really cool. Like you, to go back to the the dryness and the rawness of it is is something really cool that man it's like i said it kind of scares me like if i was going to make if i had these exact same songs now i would be i would be like no what are you talking about we yeah. have to put more reverb on this it has to be you know it would need to be more kind of cloaked in shrouded in mystery or whatever and so the fact that it, it's it just feels ballsy i guess and, and it's it feels cool in that way i guess my biggest biggest thing i would change if i went back is i would be a little simpler like with yeah lyrics and stuff i think i was just kind of being too clever for my own good. And I, you know, I was like, look what I, look what I, I was doing, like, you know, lyrical tricks and like being like, look how, look how clever I am with my lyrics and stuff like that. And so, I mean, I, I like parts of it, but some of it's just a little, it's just too much. And it takes away from the story because it makes it too cryptic. And it, and it also, you have to be a real big fan of this record to really understand what's going on. Yeah. And there's, I think that there's also parts in it where it kind of actually ruin, not ruins, but takes away from the melody when like you're really forcing a word into a melody that like shouldn't be there. You know, it's like sometimes you come up with a really good melody and there's certain words that just sound better on that melody. And it's like, I didn't take that into consideration at yeah. all. I was like, no, this, you know, whatever word, like some crazy long word, like I'm trying to find a long word I have in here. You know, I don't even know. Constellation, like this has to fit here, even if it shouldn't, you know? And so that's interesting because yeah, cause you're, you're, you're more focused on the story and yeah. telling this grand and, you know, using clever, metaphors and similes and, and imagery and stuff like that. I was, I was really, really into. Um, and if I would go back now, I would just, I would, I would still want to do those things, but I just wouldn't, I just did it too Pick much. Take your moments. Yeah, exactly. I, I would agree. I mean, it's a, it, I love the record and I get it, but yeah, I, you got to imagine that it might've reached a more, a, a larger audience had it made a little bit more sense to just a casual listener. Totally. If I remember right, the intro of that song originally was guitar. Yeah. And, oh, because like, you hear it in the middle of the song. You hear it in the bridge or whatever. Yeah, breakdown. and it spa- it, it bared a, a very striking resemblance to uh, Gatsby's American Gatsby's. Dreams' first song on Ribbons and Sugar. Right. And But I liked the riff, and I was like, well, let's do it with the bass guitar. Yeah. And uh, someone really good played that bass intro. Did you play it? Yeah. <laughs> you don't remember that? I guess I remember. Did we all kind of try it? And you were yeah, like, everyone, it's not right. Yeah, everyone tried it a million times, and we just had... Cause it, I think we had the guitar on there for a while, and I was like, man, this." someone pointed it out. They are like, that sounds just like Gatsby's. <laughs> oh, I guess it totally does. It's like we tried to change it to a bass, put some distortion on it, which sounds cool. And yeah, and, uh, yeah I think we... Had a bunch, everyone tried it, and I just was the one that could nail it. Just nail it. It has that nice little bend right at the very end yeah. before the drums come in, where it just kind of gets slightly out of tune, which is cool. Um, that was another thing. Like, yeah, and when that riff comes back in the song later, it's played really sloppy. So sloppy. But I that was on purpose. Yeah. I, I was like, and there's a lot of things in this record that were guitar-wise especially are just like, no, let it go. Like, let's just make it sound like you guys are playing these yeah. songs, even if it makes you sound like you're not very good at what you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and now that's like, I feel like that's a that's back you know that's cool no it totally again. is <clears throat> i think it's one of the reasons why this record for me stands up because i didn't like trigger everything i didn't auto-tune everything i didn't it just sounds like a rock record just it feels like it holds up a lot better than a lot of the records i did at that time and even the little synth 
uh, right when the vocals come in on Ants is a little like Casio. Yeah, that you had that we like held up to the vocal mic. I remember. Oh yeah, the Thomas dun, is like, dun, 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 dun. Dun. Yeah. yeah, it sounds so dinky. All the keys on this record were very just like basic. Yeah, just kind of whatever we cheesy had. Cheesy things, but we just we just like scroll through samples or keyboards and just yeah. like yeah, let's do let's put that on yeah. there. <laughs> Ants is a fantastic way to start the record. I I that song gets me pumped every time I hear it. So Brian Schechter was our manager that we that we got after the record um, came out. I think or no, I guess maybe right before it came out, we kind of got hooked up with him and. He managed Circa Survive and My Chemical Romance, and so we were so excited to be working with him and, and that he liked our band and everything. And I remember he said about Ants that, you know, he was like, there's something to Ants that's like, it reminds me so much of like the first time I heard Anthony Green sing. It reminds me of like something about from My Chem or like, you know, just like that, that there's like that it quality, kind of like that je ne sais quoi, like you can't put your finger on it, but there's just something special about it. And um, he was like, everything you do should be like ants. From now on, <laughs> you know, everything, every new thing, you should be trying to catch more of that like lightning in a bottle that you had with ants because that was like it, that song. Um, just like the energy, you know. Anyways, it was a nice compliment I thought about ants. So. That's cool. Anyway, yeah. beware the jub-jub bird and the shunt. Wait. <laughs> Dude, that's a tough title to I say. I can't read. Beware the Jub Jub Bird and shun the frumious Bandersnatch. That's it. You got it. That was, a, that was an interesting title. So that's a reference to uh, Alice in Wonderland, um, Lewis Carroll, and uh, Through the Looking Glass. And um, it's like a poem that's what, being what? read to Alice, telling her to kind of be careful and watch out. Um, and since we were calling the record... Uh, Wonderland, and this song specifically was about the girl in the story. It seemed like kind of a fitting, a fitting thing. Um, and it was just a cool, like long titles were kind of cool then, and it was just such a crazy. There's a few of them on this record. Yeah. So yeah, this this takes this is the point of view of the girl in the story, and so um, you know, like the lyrics, like she exits her gold chariot. That's like the she's in a taxi cab. She's getting out of a yellow cab. Nice. So. <laughs> It's like that. It's like that. It's like instead of saying yellow cab, I would say gold chariot. So no one has no, any idea what you're talking right, about. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and she's like, um, she's, the song's kind of about like, she's, she's playing the role that sort of she thinks she's supposed to play where she's supposed to get all dolled up and she's supposed to go out on the town and she's supposed to um, be this like object of affection basically um, for everybody. But then, uh, and you know, the song has a real like kind of dark, uh, you know the rip, yeah. bum, bum, ba, da, 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 da. Um, oh, which by the way, that was really a uh, <clears throat> inspired by um, Justin Timberlake. Justin Timberlake, Crimey yeah. River, which is da 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 da, and ours is da 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 da. So it's just like that little scale up and down. I mean, it's just a scale, but yeah, we were really, we were really kind of, we loved kind of like the creepiness of the riff in Crimey River, and so we were trying to. I mean, it doesn't sound like Crimey River, but you can see the similarity as well. Yeah. You were my sun. You were my earth. You didn't know all the ways I loved you. No. So it has like that real sinister quality to it, and then it has this really sad little outro where she um, 
is basically talking about how she's lonely and um, you know she doesn't have a wedding ring. She's talking about her the the finger being uh, her finger being naked and all this stuff and just ultimately being lonely and that not being a fulfilling thing, which also references the the chorus. You know she wants to sink her teeth into and like but ultimately it's this it's this hollow meal it's this it's this unsatisfying meal and so she's at the end of the night you're still alone and alone and, and, and all this so how does it play into the larger theme of the record like she's just supposed to be a person that lives in wonderland and it's kind of like the life of this person yeah so i guess it's it'd be good to give an overview so um there's my character who is sort of the or you know the character that that I, I guess I relate to the most is that is this guy who's who's been in the city of Wonderland, but he he's like a detractor from it. You know, Wonderland is like it's supposed to be this great place and everything, but he's like seeing the um, he's seeing the flaws and he's seeing the he's seeing like the true colors of the city and that it's this kind of you know bloodthirsty sort of money hungry place. Um, okay, so we tried to do we tried to have these these like connections. So in Jub Jub, I say she exits her gold chariot. So she's getting out of her taxi cab, right? And then for a dreamer night's the only time of day, um, it, this is back from the, my point of, my character's point of view. And I'm like walking down the street, these really busy streets and da, 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 da. And it says until a abrupt blonde door stowing a porcelain blonde girl knocks me right onto my back. So she opens the cab door that's in Jub Jub and, and oh, knocks, know this. And knocks me over. And so that's kind of like, how br- could I? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't read. So how could you? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so that's kind of like when we meet or when I first see her and basically I'm trying to get out of Wonderland with her. I'm trying to like save her from this, this dark place that I, that I know is like not good for either of us. And mm-hmm. so she, so we're trying to get out of Wonderland basically. Um, then there's kind of like the, in the simplest terms, kind of like a evil wall street banker kind of guy who the tango song is from his perspective. And so the fifth is the, uh, like the boss, like the, the wall street kind of like boss guy, which is supposed to kind of represent the young flashy guy in, you know, in 40 years or whatever. Mm. Um, like what, you know, what happens if you stay in Wonderland, you know, it might seem all, might seem all great and flashy and Wolf of Wall Street E and everything. But his song is the Harry Frazee one, which is, um, he's like depressed and, and empty and lonely and all this stuff. So the basic story of the, of the, of Wonderland is that we're just trying to get out of Wonderland. But we also find out by the end that you can leave Wonderland physically, but you can't like really ever get away from the the things that it represents. And you go over to this other city over here and it is still Wonderland. And it, yeah. this, this city over here is still Wonderland. And it's not about like the physical place. It's more about like the state of mind, I guess, and just how you are going to live your life and your values. And, and that, that was kind of supposed to be the whole message told through this really. There's not a lot actually that happens in the story. It's more just about these people's their kind of like thoughts about the city and, and, and their beliefs and, and the things that they like and don't like about the city is, is, is really how the story is told. But the only action that really takes place is, is me and the girl meeting um, after she's kind of had this. Uh, she, so she's had a night with this guy who's like the flashy banker and then me and her meet and basically get, get out of the city. The, the old depressed boss banker guy is super depressed and kills himself. And then the, the God guy, the God character destroys everything. Yeah. Oh, spoiler alert, man, we're not there yet. <laughs> That's the basic story. So, um, 
So still on Jub Jub. So yeah, back to Jub Jub. She's out for a night on the town, but then you know at the end of the night kind of thing, it's like that Sunday night blues where you just feel empty and lonely still. Are you writing these songs like a story, or are you pulling real inspiration from these um, songs to, yeah. to help write the songs? I was really... It was an interesting time in my life because I was really wanting to pursue music, but I was going to college, University of Washington, so I was like a freshman in college and surrounded by all these guys who were super confident, super motivated, ambitious dudes that are all going to be going to you know school of business and going to be running, you know, running companies in however long and like surrounded by that. And I'm working, um, working at Nordstrom in downtown Seattle. I was like a stock stockroom boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm taking the Metro bus from University of Washington downtown to downtown Seattle to go to work. And so I'm surrounded by all these young kind of flashy, uh, ambitious business dudes. I'm riding the bus with older business dudes and also, you know, people who are, uh, not, you know, people, you know, all, all you get, you see everybody on the bus, you know, yeah. you see all walks of life on the bus. So, um, just seeing, seeing the diversity and seeing how easy it is, I think, to kind of be in a bubble if you want to be. And then also, but then me wanting to go in this completely different direction of like wanting to go be a musician that, that tours and doesn't even really need a college degree in terms of helping my career. And so it was just a weird thing where there's like all these just very different life paths happening around me from... You could see it from almost beginning to end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, I'd see these guys like reading the Wall Street Journal with their Blackberries like on the bus or whatever and just being like, man, it's so interesting that like that's... Because for me, I just would imagine myself in their shoes and just feel so unfulfilled. Like, yeah, maybe I have a Porsche, but I like, what am I, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Like, am I happy? Does this make me happy? And so... Um, it was kind of, it was really like affirmation for me as a musician, really to be like, I need to get the hell out of here. I need to go be a musician, not be working in Nordstrom and, and going to, um, going to school with, with a bunch of business guys and stuff. So, yeah, so that was really the inspiration and even, and, and I think really the inspiration for it being told from different points of view, because I was seeing, I was seeing kind mm -hmm. of the different characters sort of come to life. And so I was trying to, personally, I was trying to kind of sympathize with, you know, to each their own and, and whatever makes you happy makes you happy. But I was also for the sake of, of storytelling, trying to really simplify and, and even kind of, um, you know, demonize <laughs> yeah. the things that weren't, that weren't going to make that, that weren't in, in line with what was going to make me happy, which was sort of like following my, my dreams, whether or not that brought me money or not. And so, yeah, I think that's really kind of what, what led to a lot of the, you know, the, the different points of view on the record and the different characters. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to show you what it's like to be the flashy young businessman, man. And I wanted to show you what it was like to be the girl who thinks that she's wants that, but ultimately isn't satisfied and, and, and all that. So do you, it's been 10 years. Do you like, do you feel the same way or do you, I mean, is it more of, would you not quite go so hard on the concept at this point or? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think, I think I definitely still agree with it. I mean, I still, Cause you're still doing music. You're still, yeah, I'm still doing, doing music. I mean, I have, I have friends, great friends that are in business that work on wall street that are, you know, the things that I sort of, um, am against, so to speak on, on this, on wonderland. And, um, you know, I have no problem with them doing that if it makes them happy. And if that's what fulfills them again, it's just, it's, 
it's about that, like whatever makes you happy. And for me, that, that would make me happy and it, it's, it wouldn't be fulfilling whatsoever. And it, and, and, and it's just about, I think, following your dream. And even if that's something that seems crazy and seems like a long shot yeah. and, and that's kind of what I've always really been, really been drawn to is that, is that message. We recorded that with the first batch of three songs ear to ear. Um, we definitely had like a demo. I remember maybe, maybe you kind of, maybe we just showed you the demo and you said, you know, you maybe know. In three and I picked, we just picked two cause that's all yeah. we're, that's, that's I think what happened. Yeah. I'll try and dig up the demo and we can play it quickly. That'd be cool. It. Yeah. So ear to ear, like I said earlier was the first song really that Thomas and I started working on. So it just had all these really great little riffs and mandolins and counter riffs and all yeah. this stuff happening. And, um, you know, we were just the, we had we had a pretty wild imagination musically. Like let's bring horns in and let's do it. I think we and they're we real brought, horns. Yeah, they're real horns. They weren't they weren't the best players. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> we found like University of Washington marching band uh, musicians. Yeah. Which which I didn't really know this, but and please no offense to anybody who is a talented marching band musician, but I just thought that if you were in a college marching band that you were like an amazing musician. Yeah. And I think it's more that like you were, you were a passionate musician <laughs> who wanted to be involved and That's wanted harsh. to play and stuff like that. But you weren't like this technically, you know, in a marching band, you're just blasting and blaring. And well, there's also the side of, they're probably used to reading sheet music, right? And we gave them sheet music. We, we did. Them, yeah. Thomas, you know, was, a, was a music major. And so he wrote out the sheet music for them. Maybe um, it's to rock and roll a little bit. I think it was just, I, th- I don't know. I think it was just in a marching band, like I said, marching band, you're blasting, blaring, and you're all playing together. And it's like, yeah. you know, one person slightly out of tune it just kind of blends into the yeah. rub of everything. Whereas when you're just being recorded on your own, it's it's a whole different whole different thing. I mean, you've seen it with bands where it's like, you they, they seem like great drummers, great guitar players, but when you put them by themselves in front of a mic, all yeah. of a sudden, like, they just deteriorate. <laughs> into a shell of what they were, you know? It's just a, it weird, it's a weird thing. It's, it can be intimidating. Experience. It can be intimidating to record. So yeah, we did a bunch. I think we had like a sax player and a trumpet player. And I also, um, it was, I don't know if it was on this, but I mean, I played trumpet in middle school. And so I think I definitely played on Razia's. I don't, I can't remember if I played on this, on Wonderland at all, but we just layered it a bunch and... Um, tuned it, I remember that. Did you tune it? Uh, yeah. Oh. Hmm. We had, I mean, we had to go through and it was a process getting it was, I was it was really surprising yeah we like got them up there like okay let's record i was like expecting just right. magic yeah. yeah and i was like whoa they can't I'm having a hard time just keeping it in tune and hitting and you know playing in time it's a big thing with with uh you know, band and orchestra recordings is that they sort of need to be together because like they play, like if you went and recorded even the best, uh, you know, string players in the world, I mean, okay, maybe not in the world, but if you went and recorded a group of string players together, like they, 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 they kind of blend in tune Feed together. Off each other. Whereas if you went and recorded them all separately and even got the best takes and then put those together, it would just sound totally out of whack in the tuning. And it's like, they have to kind of meld together. So anyway, continue. What no, you that saying. makes sense. I was just going to say that I think that experience is going to come into play later when we decide to do um, Razia's Sh- yeah. Shadow, just just having that, and then a similar experience as we were experimenting for Razia's Shadow, but that'll be down the line here. Yeah. Um, ear to Ear, yeah. So, so Ear to Ear, yeah, so it was the first song we worked on, um, and it's a reference to 
the movie Boiler Room, when Ben Affleck character says, look at the fucking smile on my face. <laughs> you are the future big swinging dicks of this firm. Now, y'all look money hungry, and that's good. Anybody tells you money's the root of all evil doesn't fucking have any. They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the fucking smile on my face. Ear to ear, baby. Which I just thought was such a great line and such, such a, you know, it epitomized what I was, what I was, you know, kind of aiming at in terms of like the young, flashy, confident business guy who's just super money hungry and like just doesn't give a fuck and just wants to make a shitload of money. So this song is kind of told from that perspective, from the young and flashy business guy's perspective, but it's kind of told tongue-in-cheek, too. You know, like the chorus is my destiny. You're just trying to make it more complicated. <laughs> exactly. the listener. I mean, I'm kind of like, I'm trying to show, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, putting, I'm putting my filter on it, on top of it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm my commentary on top of it. So it's like my destiny, the chorus is my destiny wasn't written in the stars. It's been met- meticulously planned and presented in a chart a flawless design to truly satisfy you want results look at the fucking smile on my face and so it was all about like it's not about following your dreams it's about like planning it all out and having this like you know equation for success and for making the most money possible and it's just a hollow trunk it's only full of empty nests and empty nests that was your idea actually really yeah it's probably the best line on the record because i say it's only full of emptiness and you're you're but we were talking about a tree a tree being full of emptiness and you're like are you saying empty nests or emptiness and i was like emptiness and you said well what if what if you just you know you said emptiness once but then like the repeat says empty nests yeah like the little callback part the in the background yeah like the yeah. the yeah yeah i remember that and it's super that you can barely hear what it's like so quiet in yeah the background. so quiet in the background. Hollow trunk, it's only full of emptiness and it's had all these uh, this cool imagery of like a tailor too, you know, like a, a savvy business guy getting his inseam measured, but in some fancy tailor shop, while he's like, you know, on the phone being like, sell, sell, yeah. or whatever. And like that's kind of the thing. And um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what that song's about. I remember though because this was one of the first songs. Like I remember playing a show at Ground Zero, that little teen center in downtown Bellevue, that would be like completely sold out with like thirty people in it. Yeah, which is great. That's like where we kind of came up, and um, you know, like our little fan base here loved the EP, the the prior EP, and since Ear to Ear was one of the first songs we wrote, it was one of the first songs we got to debut live and and play for everybody. And so I remember feeling very like excited slash nervous to like play this song for everybody. And I'm sure it just sounded like such. I mean, the recording is like a crazy mess of a song. So yeah. you can imagine like these you know, 19 year old kids playing it who aren't that great at their instruments, but I'm sure it was just nuts. And like, I think Thomas had like the little mandolin for the verse on yeah, top yeah. of the guitar and, and we didn't have horns obviously, but, um, I just remember feeling so thrilled that, it, that we got to play it live and that people <laughs> seemed to like, kind of like it. And especially getting to sing that, look at the fucking smile on my face yeah. line, you know, it felt like a very, very cool, cool song. Um, all right, next awesome. one. So we really wanted this, we really wanted, we were really into Bright Eyes, um, and we really wanted a song that kind of had a Bright Eyes feel to it. Um, this is my first country song. <laughs> first and done. only? Yeah. Um, yeah, so we really wanted to kind of like folksy, you know, there be, there's some mandolin and some... Um, slide guitar. Slide guitar and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we really wanted the kind of Bright Eyes, like Bowl of Oranges feel to it. And uh, I think that this is told kind of from my perspective, who, you know, my character sort of like waking up and smelling the roses or, or, you know, waking up and smelling the rotting roses more, more accurately. And just kind of being like, this place is, 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 uh, crazy. Like it can't be real. This, but it just, it doesn't seem 
how's not everyone else seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah, that exactly. Um, but then, and, you know, he, he's convinced like this has to be a dream. This has to just be like a nightmare. This can't, this can't be real, this place. And the song ends. I rub my eyes to find the whole time I thought I was in a slumber. They've been open wide. So he's like, oh, shit, I've been awake this whole time. It's, oh. This is real. There's a medicine for every ill and, and talking about, you know, people that are just taking pills instead of like addressing actual, That's interesting. actual, actual problems. That's and, more you know, today if, than it even was 10 years ago. If the money's right, the pain can be drowned with a bitter pill and, and all the women are paper thin, their, ne- their necks barely hold up their heads and stuff. It's just kind of, it was a lot of social commentary on, on people not facing their actual issues and, and working on themselves and just kind of covering everything with band-aids and duct tape. Why did we have the whole group bar setting at the end of the song? It was didn't have anything to do with this, the story. Or it anything. was just for the it was the feel that we yeah. Had we just going. wanted the feel of that. Uh, I think we had come up with a little part and it and it felt. I can't. I'm trying. I, it was I like an Irish bari or something. Yeah, right? I like, want to say that we we couldn't decide if we should go slow or fast. Like we kind of liked both of them, and then we were like, well, why don't we just try to do both? <laughs> but that's not my mindset back then. I was like, let's just, let's just do it all. <laughs> just do both. Yeah. And so we sped it up. And then it just gets super slow. And then there's the out, like, and then there's like the little outro part where he he talks. What I just said, where he talks, he realizes he's he's still awake. And we wanted it to sound like we're in a, almost like you stepped out of the bar. And so you can still hear all the bar noises in the background, but they kind of have like that underwater. Like they they're coming from the next room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it was just you, me, and Jesse trying to do the bar noises. And so we're sitting in your control room. And we got like <laughs> just coffee mugs or whatever, little glasses, and. Uh, filled them up with some water. It was very, like, we weren't cool at all. No. It wasn't a real bar scene. And we were just clanking them together and saying, And like, yelling. Yelling, like, ah, da, da, da. And I remember, you can hear it, and I always hear it when I, anytime I listen to the song, because it's right when it gets to the quiet part outside, even though it's, like, muffled in the background, you can totally hear it where, because there's a bunch of layers of, that we did, so it sounds really full, but I'm trying to be, like, a drunk dude. And so I'm like... I love you, man. I, lo- I just love you. And you, and I'm like waiting for you to say it back. And you go, I hate you. And I hear it every time, and I'm like, fuck, man. I hear it every time, too, because it's like it's one spot where it just kind of pokes out. Yeah. Time for Il Tango della Signora Francesco di Bartolomeo di (laughs) Zanobi del Giocondo. Yep. That's it. (laughs) Nailed it. Have you ever live pronounced, say, this is the song we're playing and say that title? (laughs) No. So that's actually. Have you ever said that? Wait. That's the Without real even name. reading it, can you read? No, yeah, you don't no even idea. Know. You don't even know the t- your own title. But watch if I copy and paste this, Signora Francesca. What into Google Translator? No, you know who's going to come up. This is the real name of Mona Lisa, the girl in the painting, Mona Lisa. Oh, really? Oh, only my only tango lyric. There it is, Lisa del Giocondo, also known as Mona Lisa, because it was the name of her husband. Oh, it's the name of her husband. So it's like saying you know Mrs. Casey Bates. So her husband's name was Francesco di Bartolomeo di Zenobi del Giacondo. 
<laughs> anyway, um, so this was the the idea behind the Mona Lisa reference was that it was like this girl who was like the object, you know, the the, the picture perfect girl. Is this the same girl from Jeb Jeb? Yep, but this is told this is told from the point of view um, from the the so th- this song and the next song, a dead person breathed on me, are the same event, like a night a night out, like a night of uh, intimacy between the the young flashy businessman and the girl. So this is told from the young flashy businessman's point of view, where it's all just like all just about sex and it's doesn't you know there's no substance there's no there's no emotion it's just like a physical thing and then the next song is like this sad you know lonely kind of heartbroken love song that's interesting um anyway we really wanted also to um i was i was really into chicago the musical and i really wanted we really wanted to make a song that sounded like the cell block tango actually i don't know if we're going to out ourselves of ripping this thing off pretty blatantly but Hear it? Oh yeah. <laughs> Great song. Um, so we wanted we wanted a song that just like felt totally outside of rock and roll in that sense that it kind of had like a tango thing going on and we would do it live too where we had this crazy drum drum rack that's how you finished every set wasn't yeah, it yeah we would finish every set where we would me jesse and thomas would all turn around and flip our guitars around and play uh play this whole outro so all four of us were playing drums and percussion and crazy stuff and jesse's going <laughs> going nuts on a cowbell and <laughs> full full uh Will Ferrell mode and um, I remember you we had didn't we have a ton of different like Seattle guys come in and just do their little part on I think the it was song? just Nico was it really just one person I think it was just Nico I mean I think Andy did it and then recorded like the main stuff and I think I kind of did some stuff on it just like whatever that we chopped up and moved around and then Nico just came in who was the drummer of Danger Radio and just a really had really cool style Mm-hmm. With stuff like that, um, it'd be kind of similar to having like a Rudy or something come in, um, right? And we just let him go nuts on it. I think you just like looped it, or he just did it like ten times, and then we just went through and found a bunch of cool stuff and and kind of layered it on top. It has a cool flow to it, like just for like a percussion thing. It, I, yeah, I'm really happy with how that thing comes out. And like parts the, of it, he's like playing on like the like the table leg or or like like little just random metal stuff. And um, yeah, there was some cool some cool stuff in there. Dead person breathed on <laughs> dead person. <laughs> dead person breathed on me. Um, so that was like the song, that song title is kind of funny in my mind because it was a it's a reference to um, I think it's to National Lampoon's Vacation. That's the gra- random. The, the grandma we we had like been watching it or something and like the gra- I'd never seen it I think which is like surprise you know is is rare I think most people have seen that movie but I had never seen it and the grandma they like realized the grandma has had been dead for like quite a while in the car. 
and like the girl's freaking out that like she was sitting next to like this dead grandma. She's like, you know, a dead person. You know, it's a funny line in the movie. She's like, a dead person breathed on me. She's not fine, Clark. She's dead. <laughs> she breathed on me. A dead person breathed. Oh, her hands hurt me. She's stiff already. Oh. But um, I thought it like for some reason worked really well for this because the it's it's calling in my mind it was calling the flashy business guy like a dead person yeah. somebody that didn't have like a soul or didn't have any any anything um, and this was this was does a, she realize that like during like after the night is over is like is that from her perspective or is that your perspective of yeah it's, this is kind of the end of the night where I think she you know maybe they slept together and he doesn't even spend the night he just kind of goes home. And she kind of realizes, like, oh shit, you know, this happened again, or or whatever. I'm I'm just alone. Like that that wasn't what I was looking for. And and um, she's been looking for you know something to like break her out of this place, of this funk, and this feeling. And it's that that wasn't it again. Yeah. You know? um, Thomas had written uh, just this really beautiful uh, acoustic guitar little part, which is like the main the main little part of the song. And it was, you know, I didn't have to even do anything. Like the melody is just, I'm just singing along with the melody of the guitar, basically. But it was, it was just kind of like this little, this little hymn almost. It was, just, it wasn't like a full, fully fledged song. But we just left it as like this, because what, it's like a minute long or yeah. a minute and a half or something. So we just left it as like this kind of almost like an interlude, um, intermission. Kind it's of always felt that way to me, like the middle of the record. Yeah, kind just of. kind of like a little breather. And yeah, it was a really, it's just, it's a cool little thing. Like I still play it from time to time because it's just, it's a, it's a very pretty little guitar part. Which brings us to The Great Affair is to Move, which was the other half of the two songs that we did together for free that got you signed to Feel Better Ramen. But we redid some stuff. on didn't, So as we're Jub Jub, I believe we kept all the music and vocals from the original demo sessions. Really? I'm almost positive. I, I remember with Jub Jub, we, we doubled the length of the last chorus. Mm, okay. Uh, with this song, we redid all the guitars, I'm pretty sure, in vocals. Yeah, I remember we we were trying to nail this opening guitar part for quite a while, much longer at least than we spent on most most of the the, the guitar parts, which uh, you know when you're making guitar parts that you want to sound sloppy, you don't have to spend that long yeah. doing them usually. <laughs> but this, uh, because that opening guitar part was really pretty um, kind of technical, we I remember we did it a bunch of times, and and Thomas Thomas wrote it uh, of course, but I think that. Uh, he tried it a bunch. I tried it a bunch. You might have, we might have even taught it to you and had you try it because it kind of has like a little whir, as you would, as you call it, in little, the middle, a little digadent thing. Um, <laughs> but we didn't want it to. We wanted it to be kind of. The whole point was it to be feel sloppy. Yeah, and but kinda, just, but it was hard to to play it and have it feel right. Right. I mean, I remember it feel, it being one of the few times on the record where you were like, nope, that's not that's not it. Like you're, you're just not, a lot of takes, just yeah, over. We're not, over. we're not, we're not getting it right, which is cool. It's, it, which is fun as a musician to be like, because it feels like you're, you're excited about it, and you, you, you know that it can get there, but it's not there, kind of thing. It's supposed to like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> it was the only time on the whole record I gave a shit. <laughs> no, I just meant it was. I just can remember that that we we did it a bunch and a bunch and a bunch and a bunch. Well, there um, are there's a there's a few things on this record like in tango uh, where it, it there's that feel of how you guys are playing it that's really important. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean, versus like some parts where you're just strumming like down and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. this song that that feel and that rhythm was so important. So yeah, we probably did a million takes of it till it just felt right. It was yeah. kind of like the intro with ants, the same thing. It was just, right, it had to 
it had to feel right, especially yeah, have the feel being the intro of a song. Totally. So this song, I think we really we're also really into uh, say anything. Their record is a real boy, and and how kind of brash but but poppy that record felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think we were we were kind of inspired by them. Um, to make a song kind of in that vein a bit, and um, I remember we were on we were on tour when, like when I kind of wrote the the main chorus and the lyrics and stuff like that. You know, the the main the main line in the chorus is, despite all maps and borders, and all the wars and globes, I've been led to uncharted lands. Um, so it was really just about like you know feeling like you're in a new place emotionally more than anything, even though you're in places you've never been before, and. Mm-hmm. and yeah, so, and then it kind of, again, this song kind of has one of those little cool button things where the end of the song has just a whole new part, which this is probably, you know, when I go back and listen to the record, this is this is one of my favorite songs. Um, it just has a lot going on, but in a, in a not overwhelming way, in kind of just an interesting way. And it's it's catchy, but still interesting. And um, the message, I think, is is told more in a, in, in a, you know, more digestible way, I think, than a lot of the record. Do you have a good example of that? Like in lyrically, well, I think just that that main line that I said, um, "Forget your compass and scars. This world will tear you tear you apart and stuff." And it was just it was just like more relatable lyrically. I think it wasn't getting too heady. It was it was mm-hmm. more just like emotion. I, I always liked. I mean, they're kind of emo lyrics, but I always really liked the uh, the very the end. Is you know, I could abandon my coast for the opposite edge of the states. I could vanish to the vast cavities of space, but one brute's consistency will forever remain my endless potential for pain. And I just, I don't know, I was proud of that lyric. I thought it was, it was cool that like I can go anywhere and I can, I can leave everything behind, but he's, he's starting to realize that like, you know, I, I can't get you away. You can't leave Wonderland. You can't, you can't leave, you know, your, your potential for pain behind. That's yeah. just always going to be there. So it's also one of the few songs that even though quote unquote, my character, I'm still sort of not singing totally from my point of view. It's like this guy who's in the city Wonderland, you know, it's not actually Thomas Dutton, Yeah. you know? But this is one of the few times where I actually say, you know, you close your eyes to dream. I steer and strum towards mine. So I'm saying like I, I drive a car and I play I play a guitar towards my dreams. Um, That's cool. So it's one of the few times in the record where I really kind of reference Thomas Dutton as opposed to like the Thomas character in mm-hmm. the story, which is kind of cool. Harry Frazee and No No Nanette. What's that a reference to? So that's a reference to um, Harry Frazee owned the Boston Red Sox. And he had Babe Ruth on his team, and he, his wife, really wanted to mount a play on Broadway or on wherever called No No Nanette. And so, to help fund that project of his wife's, he traded Babe Ruth to the Yankees. Really, to get uh, to get enough money to put the, the production on. Which there's the curse of the Bambino. Yeah. So many believe that was the reason that they didn't win a World Series for 86 years or whatever it was. So that relates to the song how. <laughs> Such a diss. Um, I was just really into like putting these little these little things in songs that I thought were just kind of cool little factoids, and that was one of them. But it relates to the song because um, this is the song that that's from the point of view of kind of like the seasoned you know businessman who's who thought that this way of life was going to lead him to happiness and you know all the money in the world what he would buy he would buy his happiness with with all the money he made and and he's kind of looking back on his life and um is lonely and empty and depressed and so um it relates to it in that sense that you shouldn't have traded away 
something that you knew the greatest player in the history was of right baseball, because yeah. you needed more money you know yeah yeah and so the song's about that he's like i you know it starts where i followed every single step so he's like I, I did everything i was i was told i did everything i was supposed to do but um i'm alone and, and i'm I'm lonely, you know, and so that was kind of the whole thing was that you need to, you know, following the rules and, and doing doing what you're supposed to do isn't necessarily the way to the life that you should be living in my in my mind. And, and that's the message I was trying to portray is that you should, you know, sometimes you got to you got to go outside the box and you got to break the rules and, you know, you got to take the, the path less traveled, that whole thing. So in the actual storyline, he uh, kills himself here at the very end. You know, he says, he's never been a big drinker, but tonight his liver wouldn't know it. The burdens have become a crushing load. The wrenching twist will soon cause a shift. The pressure fleeting and pounding, I feel the trigger give. So that's when he's, yeah. he kills himself. Um, and it's also referenced in the next song when um, it's kind of like the, 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 the newsies, like the guy in the, selling the newspaper on the street for like a nickel or whatever. He's like extra, extra read all about it. And he's the story that he's selling as the front page news is that this executive, the CEO, um, right. Right. Is right. Dead or whatever has, has been killed. Production wise on the song, there was the, that interesting dink, 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 dink sound. Oh yeah. Yeah. What was that? So we had gotten these little, just little percussion things. Um, I don't even know what they're, they're called. They're like claves, kind of? Yeah, or something like that. They're little plastic ones, and they just they were different sizes, so they had different two different tones. Oh, they mounted to the drum kit, they? mounted they? to the drum kit, yeah. And we just, we had gotten them, like, at whatever, at Guitar Center, and we're, and we're playing it like that. I don't know where we ins- where, where we sort of got inspired for that, but um, I think it was your idea to kind of distort them and, and make them sound kind of super, nuts. super, yeah. cool, super different. But it was cool because we were still able to kind of reproduce it live. It wasn't like this weird digital yeah. thing that we had a sample or, you know, we had actually played that. It just, but with the distortion, it really, it really added to it. Did you have to play to any tracks live for this record? No, we didn't. It was I mean, just straight, pretty yeah. simple. The only things we really missed out on was, you know, like the horns on ear to ear and some of the extra instrumentation on some of the crazy parts on like Parable and stuff like that, where there yeah. was, you know, we would just have to condense and, you know, there wasn't three mandolins or <laughs> there was only yeah. one. Uh, but no, we yeah we played everything. We didn't play to a click or anything. That's how you do it, man. It's rock and roll. Not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> I have a full robot band of MacBooks. For a dreamer, nice the only time of day. So this, this was the last song we recorded. We were working on the chorus forever, right? Well, we felt like we needed kind of like a sing, like we felt yeah. like a single or like a more poppy song. This is a weird song for, for us to focus on. <laughs> well, no, I mean, so if you take out the outro of this song, yeah. and the weird breakdown. It is like a super pop. I mean, the first like minute and a half is like super pop. Yeah. It's like very upbeat and like, you know, made all very major chords and stuff. And so I think we were writing it and it kind of just was feeling like just too sugary for, for us. And it was, I think for you too, it was just like, this song is just too pop, you know? And so that's when we kind of decided, well, what if we just like, it seems like it's a pop song, but we just like throw a wrench in it and it kind of just like starts to just get dark and, and um, get weird. And so there's, yeah, there's the weird tempo change yeah so it slows down and then it kind of speeds back up and but just get, has all of a sudden it's like the, the the screws get twisted and everything's all of a sudden becomes dark and minor um i remember like the outro too was originally written in like a different key that was much more in my range because of the way that the song 
Oh I think yeah, we, yeah, maybe yeah. we changed the the earlier part of the song mm-hmm. or something, so it bumped up the outro, and I was like, "That's too high! Like, I can't sing that high! I've like never sang that high." And you were like, "You're actually really encouraging." I remember about just being like, "You just gotta like yell it," and it's just to be like this yelly, just like growly kind of part, and it'll it'll sound cool. Like you you totally trusted, it. and I was like, "I don't think so." I think that I'm I think we like, had to go like line by line because you would just give oh, yeah, it as yeah. much as you possibly could. And it was just my voice would be gone. And actually, I got a lot better at it. Like when we would tour, I could I could like do the whole thing. And I Why don't you still just change the key song. of the song on tour? Maybe we might, we might have a little bit. We might have gone down a half step or something. But um, I, I just was so not used to singing that way to like really like. Ah, I mean, like, yeah. it was like really. I was yelling. It sounds cool. It does sound really cool. the other my other favorite song on the record is just um i love that it's catchy but also still has like these twists and turns and un- unexpected moments and there's uh clever things in it again it's like a simple message that's more relatable and digestible you know um if morning never brings salvation for either one of us leave me and save yourself i'll only slow you down you know it's like just kind of this we got to get out of here song but there's a a drum part on the song right at the tempo change that was a mistake that I ended up liking and leaving in. And really? it's, it's when uh, the when the tempo change happens and the and the, dr- the kick pattern is like dun 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 and you do the, like the you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And one time he only he doesn't he doesn't do the dun uh, dun dun ka. He just hits the kick dun, one time. Dun ka. Yeah. He doesn't even hit it twice. He just goes dun ta because really? he he just forgot to play it. And I was like I was like that's kind of cool. Like just having one kick there. And so we 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 like punched in the music so that it played with his mistake. And I always thought that was a cool little part. it's a it's a weird timing thing where i don't even know how I, it's 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 this thing i came up with I, I i don't even know how to totally explain it in terms of music theory but like you leave the you leave the measure on the and yeah but you treat it like the one of the next me, you know what i mean like the and it, and it comes four. in on the and right when you do the, right, when so it's it's like, the tempo change bum, 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 bum. Bum, 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 bum. So it's yeah. like on that it's on that and, but it gets treated like the one. So I, again, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was this. It, I remember it took a minute for. for and him that's to probably get why it. he screwed it up. Yeah, yeah. he's like, "Where am I? Okay, there, <laughs> you know, there it is. There's the beat. Um, but yeah, that's cool. I forgot about that. Yeah, and I liked how that it went perfectly with the um, the lyric and the chorus, which is I'll only slow you down, and then we slow down yeah. musically, which I thought was kind of a cool little thing. This also kind of had, I think. I want to say that we sounds weird, like as a reference point, but I swear we were listening to like the first Maroon Five record on tour, and it kind of had like these kind of cool funky. Yeah, no, uh, I remember this. We used, we used it a little bit uh, as a reference for some things. Yeah, and so the whole part, you know, the um, 
that little like breakdown that happens after the second chorus was kind of like a us trying to do that where it just switches gears a little bit and is then the, the climax of like they're on a high they're like getting the hell out of wonderland they feel great you know he confesses his love to her he says if morning never brings salvation leave me and save yourself i'll always love you and then i've got a witch is them getting to the new or is them actually leaving and like packing their bags and like being being uh, really hopeful but then getting to the new place and it's like the, the exact same, same thing. thing you know it's like that scene in eternal sunshine where you like he keeps running down the block and it's the same the same place this is this is another probably one of my favorite songs when I go back and listen to the record. Um, it's it's really really simple. We didn't do anything. Now let's be clear. You listen to this record a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> this one is like really simple. It doesn't have any crazy twists and turns. It's really pretty straightforward. Um, and just you know, it kind of has this big build up outro thing. But other than that, it's it's very simple. And Thomas wrote some really beautiful counter guitar part stuff. And this was uh, the title was a reference to. Um, uh, Wizard of Oz. It's a line from Wizard of Oz. She's like, I got a witch mad at me and you could get into trouble. I think she says that to like the Tin Man or something or the Straw Man or whatever. But maybe you better not. I've got a witch mad at me and you might get into trouble. Witch? Huh. I'm not afraid of a witch. There's also a reference to like an Elvis Costello song when I say, um, when dawn arrives, we'll be ten drinks deep if we can fight off turning horizontal. He That's talk- from Elvis Costello? Well, he talked about like getting drunk and it, it turning him horizontal or something. <laughs> I thought it was always cool. It really... It's actually, in our song, it's like forced in there. It's one of those things I was talking about where it's forced in there. Really? It doesn't actually sound good, but I like really wanted to use it. <laughs> and it just felt like the perfect place, and I just was like, get it in there. In terms of the story, this is, you know, at the very end, they leave. The whole song's about them leaving, but then no matter f- how far we go, it's all a fragment of a whole, even if all locks are keyed and or calloused become our feet. So just like no matter how far, how far we go, no matter where we go, um, we'll take our seats at the throne, Wonderland's our home, there's no escaping the glow. So it's all the same and no matter where we go. So that was kind of the them coming to terms with that. And the outro, or just that, the payoff at the end of the song is so good. The bridge, and then it just hits on the epic outro. Oh, I remember something about the bridge was the the, the guitar that you hear on the bridge, um, or whatever that breakdown part is, is the scratch guitar, and we just really liked the kind of like janky. I remember that, yeah. Way it sounded, and I think we tried redoing it and having it sound like really, you know, more nicely palm muted and, yeah. and 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 really kind of done correctly <laughs> but it just didn't have any feeling to it it didn't have it was it was it wasn't loose enough and so we went back to the the scratch guitar yeah because i would have uh had you guys had like you play to a, a, click, a click track mm-hmm. um for jesse to play to to track drums on the record and you it was probably just the one take yeah and that's what we used because it like, sounded uh, cool uh, whatever yeah yeah and, but yeah it just kind of has like a little feel to it um that's interesting yeah that's cool 
No matter how far we go, it's all a fragment of a whole. Even if our locks are keyed or callous, we come Cue the sun. Do you know what that's a reference to? The Truman Show. There you go. I know this one. The new one. <laughs> so that's a reference to The Truman Show and kind of speaking to the fact that this is the God character who, you know, is cue the sun. And this is kind of him just telling the whole story of how it starts with this blank canvas and he, he built this place. And the first choruses are these really nice major chords mm-hmm. and pretty melody, like look at this world I've created and how beautiful it is, you know, from the oceans and tides to the clouds and blue skies and stuff. And it's like he's he's saying how beautiful it is. And then, it, and then we do the exact same chorus, but like with just these really mm-hmm. demented, minor, diminished chords at the end and he, where he's getting angry and like, look at the world I've created watch as it turns like a top from the malls and estates to the smokestacks and freeways and stuff and you've wasted this gift and blah 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 He actually, so the way he destroys the world is he says, I'll pull back the blinds and open all your eyes and let the sun drown you all. And that's when there's just like that kind of, um, you know, that oh chant over the outro yeah. while we play those minor chords and stuff. And so he just vaporizes earth. Everyone dies? <laughs> it's a sci-fi oh. uh, concept <laughs> record. Sci- an epic sci-fi <laughs> record. Yeah, he's, uh, he's a sci-fi warlord. Um, <laughs> no. Interestingly, this is... The- one of, if not the only time I use any reverb on your vocals, and it's on the chorus mm. of this song. Do you remember why? Or I don't. I think it was just the one time where it felt. Maybe we'd been talking about because this was coming from the God, and it was just this just big mm-hmm. epic chorus, and it felt like it needed this kind of hangout reverby delay thing to happen over the vocals. It's not like bla- it's not crazy because the rest of the record doesn't have it, but it's in there. There's a little bit of reverb on those vocals. That's cool. Is there is there only one vocal of me on the chorus? Yeah. Look at the world I've created Watch as it turns like it's all From the oceans and tides To the clouds and the skies I think there's only one vocal of you That's at, so crazy at any, Except for Jub Jub the chorus yeah, I was going to say, I mean that probably felt sort of normal, I guess, back then. That that's kind of was the style for what we were doing. It but. was it was what I was going for, though. Like I mean, like like you're saying, if we did if we do these songs today, we probably would do them completely differently. Yeah, but, but was, I mean, were you doing that on like around the same era? Were you doing that on like this Providence and on Gatsby's and stuff? This was a very different production from all those. Like I would have I would have doubled vocals on certain things on those records. Yeah. I, I was really had it in me. To, I wanted stuff to be like stripped down and like just. I wanted it to feel like just dry and mm-hmm. punchy and in your face. Yeah, Jub Jub felt. I remember feeling. I don't know where we got the idea to do all the octaves and all the doubles and triples and whatever we did on the chorus, but it became this very cool 
I don't know because I, f- I feel like more tradition more traditionally we would have had like quote unquote gang vocals where like Thomas yeah. Thomas and Jesse would have sang behind me and like that's how you would have filled I it out. I think we tried that. And and but then we did this thing where it was all me and it had this kind of cool in unison thing to it where yeah. it was almost like a you know almost like a chorus effect on it a little bit because it was all me and it and it was like almost this one voice but 20 voices and it had a really cool So that brings us to the end of the Wonderland record. Now I've got a couple questions? of I got a couple tweets here from at Amanda Stevens. She wants to know when Wonderland Part Two is coming out. Is, oh, Amanda, is, is that ever a possibility? I know Amanda Stevens, and I just picture her wearing her Wonderland T-shirt, which I know she owns or owns a few of. Maybe Wonderland Two is not coming out ever. No, Johnny Minardi and I always joke about it, and he always tries to, uh, he always tries to like throw me under the bus, and and he'll just like randomly tweet out like, <laughs> Wonderland two, <laughs> it's coming out soon. So um, there's there's no scenario where you could see yourself doing something like that. Yeah, I mean, I I still I still when I listen to Wonderland or if I listen to like a really great, uh, you know, kind of rock record, I could still I still I still I guess I just have that, uh, you know, that that itch in me that I could be like, Ooh, I could, I would feel inspired to, to write this and sing this stuff. But so you're um, telling me there's a chance. Oh yeah, totally. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't be like a, I don't think it would be in any it way. It wouldn't forgive Durden. No, no, I was going to say it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be like a continuation of the Wonderland story. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be like, a, why not? Oh, well, the world's all blown up. <laughs> well, but why? I mean, what? It's a, it, a prequel. It, there wasn't a demand. <laughs> there wasn't a, de- there's not, that wasn't the part of, the album that I think people are drawn to was the fact that there was tell it to Amanda Stevens. <laughs> well, I think that there would still be social commentary and there would still be sort of like, you know, uh, I mean, everything I've done has been about sort of like following your dreams and there would still be anger at things in society, but I don't think it would be like where we left off in yeah. Wonderland or whatever, yeah. because you know, that wasn't, like I said, if I would, if I could go back, that's some of the stuff that I would do differently. I got one more, uh, from at stage banter, who is the awesome podcast that I did a little while ago. They are asking, what was engineering and producing with Casey like at his studio with stuff like Tiger, Tiger, and Kesarah? Um, So working with Casey, working with you, you know, I was able to be like super kind of hands-on and be sitting right next to you and watching how you worked. And um, I just was like a sponge. And I was probably annoying to you, but for me, I was just like able to, because I didn't know how to use Pro Tools. And I didn't know how to do this and do that. And so sitting next to you, I was able to learn all this stuff. And Just from us recording together, though. Like, yeah. you, you weren't, like, interning for me or anything. No, no, no. Yeah, just from just from watching the way that you were engineering and recording us, I was able to really learn a lot. You know, you had been, you, you were bringing all kinds of bands and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I think I, you brought me in on a few little things where, and there was that other kid, um, what happened in Vegas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I came in and, like, because I, I sang on something of his. Yeah. So I would kind of come in and hang out a little bit. Um, I should play that verse on here. That was a cool little part. It was a very Gatsby's little part. Yeah, yeah. He was a big fan of the Seattle music scene, and uh, he uh, he's he's still producing now. His name's Aaron Jerome.
because I think I wrote like he had me sing it but like I wrote my part on his song and stuff and so anyways I think I kind of hung out and so yeah I, I uh, to go back to the question after Razia's um, I was getting better at Pro Tools and, and liked the idea of of you know bringing in some bands and, and you were encouraging of it because you know it's, it's filling up some of your studio time that you you can't fill every week of the every week of the year and so um I don't know how I met how did I meet Tiger Tiger like what was the question just how was the yeah what just was how was it well I guess Kesar was the Kesar was one I remember and yeah. that was I didn't I just I didn't I just help you get stuff set up maybe like just get tones and then it was like i let you do everything else kind of a thing you want to there's a there's a handful of people i've worked with that learned pro tools and really got into it and i thought man they could really stay with it and do it and you didn't go into producing bands but it i feel like it's helped you immensely even to this day as far as like producing your own stuff and writing your own stuff and doing your own thing absolutely i mean um my current band and everything i mean everything yeah i mean i'm I'm able to record demos and and do I do co-writing sessions as a songwriter and but I I act as a producer and yeah. I'm the person who's tracking everything and making a beat and and all that stuff and I wouldn't have known how to do any of that stuff had I not sat over your shoulder like an annoying little brother. I don't know about that. But you see um, you were you were you might not be as good as me at pro tools right now but you've like far surpassed me with like going into like Ableton and all these yeah. other things. Like I don't, you know, stuff that I don't really use but you've gotten deep into that. But I think we're really similar in the in the sense of like if there's something, if you wanted, if you needed to go learn Ableton, you would go watch a YouTube for, you'd go like watch one minute of a YouTube <laughs> yeah, and then start using it. You'd hit a roadblock, you'd go Google how to get past that roadblock and you would continually just teach yourself things by hitting these roadblocks and Googling how to get past the roadblocks or whatever. And yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that you just have, you haven't had a need to learn Ableton and I, and I have and, and mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So, but it's, I, I feel like I learn in the same, I self teach in, in a very similar way to you and in, in just like kind of trust in my ability to kind of figure it out. And then once I hit something, I go and learn how to get around that or through that and then keep going, you know, kind of thing. So. I remember I used to get a lot of phone calls and texts from you and then it would just kind of slowly died off. Like you, you figured it out. Like you, figured it out. Yeah. You know, might've had to do something with your, you, you not responding to anything as well. <laughs> that might be it too. <laughs> okay. So we're going to end the wonderland portion of this podcast and we are going to pick oh, up. Here, here I got, I got a question here. Oh, no, oh you got some questions. Is it, for, is it question. for me? No. Oh. <laughs> I got, will there be a third Forgive Dirt album from Matt Hollenbeck? I guess I sort of already answered that. It wouldn't be Forgive Dirt, though, right? If you did a rock record? I mean, actually, it would be cool. So Thomas Hunter and I, who wrote, um, you know, all the Wonderland songs with me, we, we you know, sort of had a falling out after Wonderland. And um, I, I wrote Razia's with my brother. Um, but Thomas and I have since become become friends again. He actually lives down in L.A., where I live now. And... Um, we hang out and see each other from time to time and talk about writing together. And he's still an immensely talented guitar player. So it would be cool to, to kind of reunite with him. So uh, tell... Wait, sorry, got another question oh, here. Gosh, how many questions are there? No, not many. Uh, somebody said, if you could do it all over again, what would you... Uh, I guess I kind of answered this. Wizard Carry at Heavy Crowns. I would make... I would, I would go a little simpler in terms of message and scope of the... Uh, of the concept and the storytelling and, and just try to make it lyrically more than anything, make it a bit more accessible. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's, there's points in the record that feels like, Ooh, that's it. Like that's like, you know, moments of I've got a witch and moments of, mm-hmm. of, um, for a dreamer and stuff like that. And really kind of try and key in on what, what we, what we got right on those songs yeah. and, and kind of go in that direction. 
That's it. That's all I got. So say for the end of this version of it, like what you got going on right now with uh, Cardinox and yes, yeah, so I have a I have a band called Cardinox, which is me and Lonnie, who's a singer, um, and it's like an electro pop, dancey, synthy '80s kind of a thing, and we uh, just finished our debut full length album a little bit ago, and it's going to be coming out in March on Warner Brothers. Um, and we're going out on tour with the Knox on in January for a full U.S. tour, coming to a city near you. Nice. And um, and you guys have some songs out right now. Yeah, we have two. We have some older material that we sort of like self-produced, and then we have two songs out um, from the new record, and then a third one's coming out, I think, in in January. And that um, those are on Spotify and Apple Music and all that. Yep. Cool. And how do they find you on Twitter and Instagram? Twitter, me or Cardi Knox. Both. Oh, so um, Cardinox has a very SEO friendly name, and it's just Cardinox wherever you you know on any in any platform. I guess that's a perfect because that name is so random. Yeah, that you can get you can get any username with. That's cool. So it's C A R D I K N O X. Um, and then on Twitter, I am uh, Thomas Duddy, and um, on uh, Instagram, I'm Beatrix Kiddo with a zero instead of an O on the end. Wow, where's what? that from? You don't know what that's from? I know what it's from. Okay. It's Kill Bill. Um, you great. have a Kill Bill tattoo, don't you? I do, on my foot. Yeah. That's a cool tattoo. Oh, next to my Lost tattoos on my feet. We should do a whole episode on Lost. Let's just bag this Razia's shadow. Be great. It starts with a canvas A starchy blinding white Then comes the flash of illumination and the tools to record the plight So I begin drowning the surface Where the swamp of acrylic swirls I'll get it right this time